Praise the Lord. I only seek eternal gain. Isn't that something? That's good. Well, take your Bible. Turn over the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And uh, we began a series a couple of weeks ago until we were so rudely interrupted by a missions conference. Well, not really rudely. It was really uh, pretty, pretty awesome, wasn't it? Aren't you glad you're a part of that? That's been great, and again, we're still, still reaping the benefit of that as we'll continue to uh, look at uh, the numbers of our uh, missions giving over the next couple of weeks, but boy, we had such a tremendous outpouring uh, just this weekend with the giving and just as a result of folks finding and identifying the uh, priorities of their life. Boy, what an what a res- what a amazing response, you know, and we just were excited about that. And as we said, Sunday alone, it was uh, already by the end of the day, it was 122,800. 122, <clears throat> now, that doesn't even come close, obviously, to uh, the lottery that was just hit, $1.4 billion. But anyway, can you imagine that, a $1.4 billion lottery? Can you imagine winning that? Someone said, well, what would you do with the money? And, of course, I've, I've heard a few people tell me what they do with it. I don't even have a clue what I'd do with that to start off. I'd have to really think about that a lot and even maybe pray about it. <laughs> Might even have to pray about that one, you know? $1.4 billion. Now, I know that the government's going to probably take about a billion of it. But uh, anyway, I mean, still, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, it's just amazing the amount of money. I, I just can't imagine... And they said there was a winning ticket from South Carolina. So we'll see, you know, somebody's got to claim it. 
Uh, they probably have already. They just don't want anybody to know who they are, right? People like preachers like me will go ask them for donations. But anyway, <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. The Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, we started a series entitled, what, what Should Be My Attitude Toward My Job and My Employer? And uh, this was the verse that I chose to use to kick things off. And again, it's a passage where, of course, Jesus had uh, kind of um, remained behind in Jerusalem while his parents started the journey home. And uh, they recognized, realized at some point that Jesus wasn't with them. So they go back looking for their 12-year-old son, who they find, obviously, in the temple. And there he is. He's just um, asking questions, and he's sharing insights into the Word of God. And uh, the Bible tells us, if we would go back, that he, he truly astonished the doctors. They were amazed. The people and the doctors there of, the, of, of that particular temple, they were just amazed at the response of Jesus and the understanding and the wisdom that he had. And yet, we read, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And we said the first time we met concerning this issue that although he was God in flesh, although he confounded the doctors, he had such great wisdom and understanding already. The fact was is that he wasn't done growing yet. Not just physically, but spiritually. He wasn't done growing in his relationship and in his walk. He, he, the Bible says that he grew <clears throat> in wisdom and stature. That's amazing to me. And you know, if we're not careful, let's be honest, we can read our Bible through a number of times and memorize a, <clears throat> a multitude of scriptures and maybe do some real studies in the Word of God through the years or teach Sunday school lesson for a number of years and come to the conclusion somehow that, well, I, I, I'm grown. I, I, I'm, I'm, I know enough Bible. I don't need to continue to memorize more Scripture. I, I, I've already taught enough Sunday school lessons. I know the Bible pretty well. I don't need to study it that awfully much anymore. I've got a good handle on it now. And yet the Bible says that Jesus, who astonished the doctors of the law, the ones who studied it for a living, he still continued to grow. That's amazing to me. He said, but he was only 12. I know, but if you knew as much as Jesus did right now, would you keep studying, growing, pushing yourself spiritually? Well, I'll tell you, it's important that we do that. And, and we said that that's all important because ultimately <clears throat> we said that we'll spend at least one quarter of our lives, one quarter of our adult lives at work. And someone says, well, how do you figure that? Well, there's 168 hours a week and you're going to spend probably anywhere from 40 to probably 60 or 70 hours a week at work. And so, you know, you're going to spend at least a quarter of your adult life working if not a lot more in many cases. And so the fact is, is that we need to be growing because when it's all said and done, we need to be a Christian, not just at church. We need to be a Christian, not just for a quarter, but for all four parts of our life. I mean, we're talking about all 168 hours a week, not just the 40 or not just 
maybe the 10 or 20 that were in church. I'm talking about we need to be Christians all the time, 24-7. And we, we recognized that, and, and we came to that conclusion. And we said, boy, that's so important. And so we started off by saying, okay, the fact is, is this. As we, we, we talk about some thoughts, we said all saved people are called to full-time Christian service. That's the first thing we learned. None of us are part-time believers. You know, we're all full-time. And, and the fact is, is that we said that everybody, every saved person is an integral part of the body of Christ. Everyone's to be involved. Everyone's to be plugged in. But then we said our service for God is to be, as we said, at all times. It's not just while we're at church. We said that although you may not have clocked in yet at work, you're already on the job as a believer because the world's watching us. And so it's important, it's so essential that we realize that when we go to our job site, when we go to wherever it is we work, that the world's watching. And so we can't just be a Christian at certain times of our life. We're to be a Christian all the time. If we truly want to be Christ-like, then it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. So we're always on the clock spiritually. We're always on the clock as believers. And so that was the first thought that we had, we, we kind of spoke about because it's so important as we think about work. So many people, it's funny, I've had people say things like this to me. You're very lucky because you work in an environment where you can at least be kind of like a Christian. And I, th- I said, well, so you're not a Christian and yours? Well, it's hard because you'll be, you'd be surprised how you would talk if you had to work where I work around the people I work with. And I'm thinking to myself, so you basically, oh wait, here's how it works. I'm a Christian and I clock in well, I don't know how they do it now. Maybe they, when I did it, we used to actually have a clock, time clock back when I was working at Kaufman Warehouse when I started the church. And uh, we'd run a, a, a time card through there and, and it would, or, or some kind of uh, card, our card, our employee card. And it would, it basically, you make sure it, it, it annotated when you clocked in because if you were two minutes late, you know, you got docked and all that good stuff. So anyway, you plug it in and, 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 you, and you get your, oh, wait a second. Oh, that's right. I just clocked in so I can go ahead and be unchristlike. Because I'm working with heathens here. I'm working with people whenever a box falls off the, the line, they cuss and they jump up and down, they scream and they go crazy. I'm dealing with uh, bosses who don't always respect you, maybe necessarily all the time. You don't get job, the job done to the degree that they think it should be. They're writing you up, treating you maybe even at some points bad, even though you probably deserve it. They didn't, they, you didn't deserve to be cussed at. But you say, well, I, I work in the construction field, and you don't understand. It's really bad in construction field. Oh, that's right. So when you walk onto the job site, you walk out of your Christianity. See, I've had people even in the church approach me that way. And it's like, well, you don't know what it's like. That's right. I've never worked in the world. I've never worked in the world. And by the way, I never have to deal with anybody in the world either. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I have to deal with Christians, supposedly. You, you know, listen, you don't realize this, but people will sit in my office and they don't even realize they're cussing when they're talking to me. Because they're so used to doing it, they think they don't even realize. Oh, did I, I just... Yes, you did. Now, I don't make a big deal of things like that because I realize that is their true nature. And I don't get bent out of shape about it and I don't nail them to the wall for it. But my, folks, listen to me. I don't care where you go and what job you have. You're going to have to deal with things that are not Christ-like because that's what we're dealing with. So we can't use those as excuses. And so the first thing we have to come to the conclusion and the realization of is this, simply this. 
<laughs> that we are full-time, on the clock, 24-7 believers. We are striving to be Christ-like, and that does not end or begin. It is a constant battle, and it's a constant striving. We want to be Christ-like all the time, not just when we're at home, not just when we're at church, when everywhere we go, because the world's watching, and we are representing the King of Kings. And so now that brings us to our next point, our next statement. We're dealing again with this issue of, you know, what should be my attitude toward my job and my employer? Well, first, as we said, all that our first attitude should be that all saved people are called to full-time Christian service. And then here tonight, we want to address this one. The primary purpose of your job is to support your ministry. Now, don't shut me down yet, okay? Somebody just flipped out. You wigged out on me. Okay, I, I get it. Hold on. Just hold on, okay? We'll get to it. And you're still going to be able to feed your family, all right? So don't calm down, all right? So now let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about this issue when it comes to our employer and being an employee and employer and how to deal with our attitude on the job, that kind of thing. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd help us. Speak to our hearts. Work in our lives. And, Lord, give us wisdom tonight. We need you. We love you. And we thank you for our missions conference. How wonderful was that? And, Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to be the missionaries here that we need to be as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we talked about, we, we, we mentioned this aspect, the primary purpose of your job is to support your ministry. Well, first of all, your first ministry is to your family. Whew, can we all breathe now? Because some people, every time I mention something, they freak out. They're like, well, <laughs> I have a responsibility. I, I get it, okay? God understands that too, and the Bible defines that, all right? I get it. So I want you to be clear that your first ministry is to your family. I get that. That makes sense to me. It makes sense to you. It's probably it's biblical, isn't it? It's pretty biblical, right? Okay, look at 1 Timothy 5.8. I'll prove to you it's biblical. All right, especially you guys. Now listen, I'm just going to say this, all right? And you don't have to agree with me. That's all right. But then again, you don't have to agree with the Bible either. Let me tell you something. Gentlemen, your wives are not to support your family according to the word of God. You are. You're responsible to provide for your family, not your wife. Amen. Now listen, I, you can go ahead and get mad at me if you want, freak out, do whatever you want. But you find, show me in the Bible where a woman is responsible to provide for the family in that way. Show me. And then I'll change my view. Gentlemen, you have a tremendous responsibility to provide for your home and family. If your wife can't work, there ain't nobody responsible but you. If your wife can work, you're still the one that's responsible. I mean, it doesn't matter. You are the one to bear that burden and responsibility. It is so important you understand that. I don't see anything in the Bible that would contradict that. Now, watch what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, if any of you, and again, the context of the passage is pretty clear, but Timothy says, 1 Timothy 5.8, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his, his own house." He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. We're talking about responsibility here. Your ministry. By the way, you as a father, uh, as a husband, are to minister. As a, a, a wife and a mother, you are to minister to your family. You, you have a responsibility to minister, to meet needs. I mean, so in a sense, your family is a ministry. It's not just a responsibility. It's a ministry. 
And so we have to realize that. And as we talk about our jobs, let's be honest. I mean, we have a responsibility in this area of our families as well. I mean, you talk about being a good employee. What good does it do to be a good employee but then not be a good dad or mom? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. That's, that's, that's kind of hypocritical. I'm going to serve my workplace. I'm going to serve my boss, but I'm not going to serve my own wife and husband. That wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So your first ministry is to your family. You need to minister to them. You need to meet their needs. And the Bible's very clear about this, this, this part. Boy, as gentlemen especially, you are responsible to do so. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and see, and see what God dealt out as punishment for the, for the fall. And you'll see that it reads right into this. It fits this passage. I think that this is gender specific in this passage. A fellow says, I have to have a raise. There are three other companies that are after me. Oh, is that so, said his manager. What other companies are they? Well, if you have to know, the electric company, telephone company, and the gas company. Either way you go, though, you know, I mean, we got to provide, we got to meet the needs of our home, whether you're financially providing, whether it's emotional support, whether it's spiritual strength, man, we've got to minister to our families. You have a responsibility to do that. How sad is it to think you would come to Community Baptist Temple and you administer to a group of children in a Sunday school class or to some group of young people or adults in a class or maybe on a bus or, or you administer by making meals and taking care of the elderly or meeting a need in someone's life, but then you go home and you treat your family differently. No wonder there's so much animosity. No wonder there's so much uh, bitterness sometimes toward the ministry by spouses. I can't tell you how many women have come into my office through the years and would say, my husband is more kind to the women at church than he is to me. How pitiful is that? My wife spends more time trying to meet the needs of those people or her class than she even does our own kids. How sad is that to hear that as a pastor? See, something's out of balance. Can I tell you what it really is? I'm going I'm to lay this out and this, let me tell you this. And you, again, it's up to you what you believe or not, but I'm going to tell you this. Do you know why sometimes women will pour their lives into something like the church, their class, or a ministry, or a husband may do the same but not do the same at home? I'll tell you why. Because in many cases, they get the affirmation and the pat on the back here that they don't get at home. They feel more fulfilled and satisfied with their efforts here than they do when they do something at home because they feel like the husband doesn't respect them, he doesn't show them any kind of gratitude or thankfulness. Or vice versa, the man says, I'm busting my tail. My wife does, could care less what my needs are. It doesn't even matter. And then there's a bitterness toward things. Then they look at the church and they go, if it wasn't for that stupid church, I'd have my husband. If it wasn't for that church, I'd have my wife. But no, that's not the real problem. The church isn't the problem. The problem is your relationship isn't what it ought to be. And the truth is you're not truly ministering to each other and to your families. I'm going to tell you something. Your first responsibility, first ministry, I should say, is to your family. You ought to be ministering to your family. And you ought to be providing for your family and taking care of your family, meeting the needs of your family. You need to do that. That's so important. So 
I think we're all on the same sheet of music, and I think we'd all agree that, boy, our families are very, very important. They're important to God, and they ought to be important to us. So our first ministry is to our family. The next ministry is to your church family. It's to your church family. In Galatians chapter 6.10, turn there if you would, please. Again, we're talking about this issue of work. We're talking about our attitude toward our job and our employer. Well, why, why do I work? What's the purpose of my working? Well, to, to, to be able to um, minister to your family. To be able then to minister to your church family. God doesn't give you a job so that you can go out and buy shotguns. Now, I know Brother Smith, he's pretty good. He says, if you know how many guns you've got, you don't have enough. Remember he said that? Okay, I get that, but let me tell you something. That's not good for a marriage. I'm not just talking because she's got a gun at her disposal. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that you just got too, you might be spent a little bit too much on yourself, so to speak, and neglecting the needs of, of the others. I, I was listening to a, uh, a, a show this morning. Uh, it was on, um, it was a sports talk show, and uh, you know, whatever. But this one guy, he calls himself the Solomon of the Airways now. And uh, he, and somebody, <laughs> he, he listens to questions and answers. He's a sports guy, but he listens to questions and answers, answers them of all sorts. The, the question came in that I'm a young guy, you know, and, and, and he says, I'm married. I have two kids and uh, we, we want to buy, we, we buy a house. And I've got three motorcycles and I've got this nice hot rod and I've got another car, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, do you think I should have to sell the car? Yeah, you think I should have to sell the car? Because we want to make a down payment. We want to put $10,000 down on a house. Do you think I should have to sell my car? Here's what the guy said. Now listen, this is a secular guy. This isn't even a saved guy. He says, you know what? He says, in my opinion, until you have children, well, he said, until you have a family, until you have a wife, and he goes, no, I'll even say, probably even a little more, till you have a family with, with children in it, you're still a kid. Now, watch what, what his, his thought was this. He said, because until you realize that life's not all about you, and that all your money and everything isn't just about you, you're just a kid still. So I don't care if you're 40, and you're unmarried, and you're single, he says, or not, you're still a kid in my view because you don't understand the need to sacrifice the way you ought to as a man. So he told the guy, you know what he told him? He said, you need to sell that car and two of your motorcycles because I don't know anybody that can drive three motorcycles at a time. I, know, I said, you may be able to ride two of them, and he starts explaining how you could maybe do that. But he said, you can't drive three of them. So he says, I'd probably get rid of two of the motorcycles and my car and admit a down payment on my house. That's what you ought to do as a man. That's a lost guy. He's got some common sense, though. And he's actually adhering to some biblical truths and principles, whether he realizes it or not. And yet we've got, we've got men of God that go to church three times a week that don't even understand those concepts. Isn't that pitiful? We have a responsibility, a ministry to our family first, and then our next ministry is to the church family. Galatians 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, 
watch this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially. So even beyond, above, just everyone else, especially unto the household of faith. See, there's a different level of relationship there with your church brothers and sisters. It it goes beyond just every other person. You say, well, they're not blood. Well, that's true in one sense, but not another. There's a difference between the relationship that we experience between one another than just somebody in the world that you have a relationship with. There ought to be a unique difference. There ought to be a, a significant, marked difference. And he's saying, listen, there's no doubt about it. You got opportunity, you do good to all men, but especially unto them that are of the household of faith. Well, we have a responsibility to our, our church family, to minister to our church family. There are needs that need to be met in the house of God. And we need to minister, not just to one another in that sense, but as a church as a whole. See, listen, you say, well, uh, so I'm just going to take all my money and I'm going to give it to brothers and sisters. Well, it might be kind of hard for us to be ministered to if there's no lights on. There's no heat in the building. The buildings are falling apart all around us. There's big holes in the parking lot. That would mess things up, like there are now. I'm just saying, we got to understand that this whole thing is part of ministering to one another. Providing for one another, helping meet needs in one another's lives. And so our first ministry is to our family. Our second ministry is to our church family. And then the next ministry, responsibility. I mean, we're talking primarily about our jobs, too. So let me just say it. I'm talking about supporting financially. Your first responsibility or first ministry is to your family, yes. But then you also, according to the Word of God, have a ministry to your church family. And then the next one is your ministry is to reach the lost. That's the next ministry, to reach the lost. Now, we're not talking about lost people. We're talking about Christians reaching lost people. We're talking about people that know Christ as their Savior, that have been born again, transformed, changed by the the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about citizens of heaven now. Their priorities, if you will, their primary purpose for their job is to support their ministry. And their first ministry is to their family. And their next ministry to be supported is their church family. And finally, the ministry. We have a responsibility to support in the sense of reaching the lost. Boy, what an outpouring we had this week. What a blessing. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for Christ. Well, we have a responsibility to reach the lost, not just in this effort, but in providing for that element. But I don't know about you, but it, it costs money to reach lost people. I'm not just talking about even at the church, I'm talking about in your own life. I mean, many of you are teachers, and many of you are, 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 are working on buses, and you know there's a personal cost. You pay, you, you, you put extra in, and you don't even get credit for that at the end of the year. I mean, it does, it, 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 there's an element of sacrifice, and we give ourselves to ministry, but it's a responsibility we have to reach the world with the gospel. And that's every believer's responsibility, not just a preacher's, but everyone's. And so when we talk about the primary purpose of your job, 
It's to support your ministry. Well, what ministry? First, your family. That makes sense, and we, we can all acknowledge that, and we've been taught that growing up, that your first responsibility, your only responsibility is to provide for your family. The only problem is when you became a believer, you entered into another family. And now you're also, your next ministry is to your church family. And then to the lost that you owe a debt to, like the Apostle Paul said. We owe debt to Christ as a result to reach the lost, I should say. So our resources as a whole should be yielded to God's service. And those resources are to be used to glorify God. And they're used to glorify God through those three areas. Our family, our church family, and reaching the lost. So the very health and the abilities that God has blessed you with, they're God's to use them for the Lord. The finances God has blessed you with, use them for these ministries. Plug them in where they belong. The members of your family that God's blessed you with, serve the Lord with them. Give them to God and use them for His glory. There should never be a child that takes you out of church unless he's physically unable to be there. That's amazing to me how many young couples will have children and they'll use their children as excuses not to serve God or not to be in church. That blows my mind. Well, you don't realize it's very difficult and babies are up half the night and blah, 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 whatever. As uh, we hear out at the uh, Old Pass Conference, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, come on. That's life, man. That's life. Well, you've got to learn to deal with that stuff. But man, I mean to tell you, you can't allow the very blessings God gives you to take you away from Him. I mean, would you, God, would, have, would you have God take the blessings away? I mean, is that what we're talking about? I think not. Now here, I want to share real quick as we close. And I have to close quickly because my wife's in the nursery. <laughs> thought equals balance. This, I mean, no, I mean, this is a thought. I'm sorry, thought. And here's the thought. I'm going to talk about balance real quick of these, okay? I want to address these issues, these, this first ministry to your family, the next to your church family, the next to the lost, and this balance here. Because, see, this is not an either-or proposition. It's not like you get to go, you know what, I'm going to focus all my blessings and all my, my, my uh, finances on my first, my first ministry. I'm going to do it all for my family. I'm just going to give everything to my family. It's, no, it's not an either or. You, you can't say, well, I'm just going to neglect my family and I'm going to give it all to the church. I'm never going to use it to reach the lost. I'm just going to use it for my church family and my, 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 my blood family, so to speak. It's not an either or deal. Now, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7 real quick because I want to show you this. It's, it's a passage in which we're going to see some religious people. And they're making bad, a bad choice here with their, their finances and with their, 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 their investment. Notice it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 9. That's where we're going to look. It's important to realize this because th- this, the Lord's going to, he's going to rebuke them. He's going to correct them. And, and he said unto them, the Lord, full well, verse 9, Mark chapter 7, verse 9. Full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now, we know that the 
Pharisees, we understand that the scribes and so forth, many of them were very, very legalistic in the sense, and, and I use the word legalistic because they were working their way to heaven. That's what legalism is, by the way, is adding works to salvation. It's not having standards or convictions. That, that's a misnomer, and that is not even scriptural. That term used that way is not scriptural. Okay, someone that is legalistic is trying to work their way or insert works into their, their, their journey to heaven. I'm going to earn my way there. I'm going to earn God's favor by doing this, 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 and this. That's legalism as defined by the Bible. Now, notice what they go on to say. Mark chapter 7, he says, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. There were a lot of traditions in the, in the Jewish faith. <laughs> For Moses said, remember they loved Moses, right? Man, I mean to tell you, even these scribes and, and these Pharisees, they loved Moses. And so Jesus goes back and says, For Moses said, where did he say it? In the law. Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, we know that Moses said that, but where did Moses get it? He got it from God. He got it from on the, on, the, on the mount. Now, notice he goes, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Eh. But ye say. Has God ever said anything, you know, Real clear in his word, and, and you went, yeah, but. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm just trying to put it where we all live a little bit. But these guys, Jesus says to them, he flat out tells them, he said, now listen, Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, you know what he's saying? There's, he's saying, Moses said that you're to honor thy father and thy mother, and if you don't, boy, I'll tell you what, there's a curse involved. And they go, yeah, but, but ye say is what he's saying. And, and have you ever done that to God? He told you to commit something or to do something or to go somewhere or to invite someone or to pass a track out. He said, yeah, but, but ye say. Notice this. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban. That is to say a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, it sh- he shall be free. He, uh, excuse me, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. But now, what's going on here, and this is important, okay? The, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they're, they're permitting some things to take place here. Someone is saying, I have a gift for God, basically. I'm going to bring a gift to the temple. I'm bringing a gift for God. I'm going to give something to him. But then on the other hand, he's got mom and dad over there at home that are starving to death and can't even make ends meet, can't even eat food. They're dying from poverty, in a sense. They're in sheer poverty. But he says, I'm sorry, mom and dad, you got to understand. Trust me, I've got to give this to the temple. I mean, I'm giving it to the temple so I'm no longer responsible to care and, for you and meet your need. And the scribes, the Sadducees, 
uh, the scribes and the, the, the Pharisees were permitting this to go on. Matter of fact, he says, And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. Basically, you're putting your traditions above the literal word of God. So here are these moms and dads that are in poverty. We're not talking about moms and dads who just would like another car, mom and dad who would just like another outfit or a new pair of shoes. We're talking about moms and dads who don't even have, they're trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal from. And you got some joker that's their son or, or, or even we'll say even in a sense, a daughter. And they're saying, you know what, uh, mom and dad, I love you with all my heart. However, I'm going to give my gift to my heavenly father, not my earthly one. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty cold-blooded. Okay, that seems pretty rough. See, they believed they had a more sacred duty to enrich the temple than to supply their parents who were in poverty. And that makes no sense. And that's not according to the word, at least. See, that's a problem. Now, you say, well, why would you share that with us? Because when you have a job, you're provided certain finances. And the fact is, is that whether it's you, me, or anybody else, God has blessed us with those. We understand that they're God's blessings, that they're given by God. And here's the problem. The knee-jerk reaction to a story like that is this. Well, see, I told you that family's more important than church, and that if push comes to shove, I have to support my family before I support the church. That's the knee-jerk reaction. But that's not how God wants us to deal with problems, by knee-jerk reactions. See, the truth is that we're not to neglect either. It's not a matter of either or, really. See, he was, what he was really addressing was the tradition of the Pharisees. That they were placing their traditions above the word of God. To honor your parents. Can you honor your parents and still honor God in his house? Of course you can. You say, well, I don't know if I can. Wait a second. Do you know what the essence of the will of God is? Hold on to your seat because I'm going to tell you something that's an extremely important truth. I'm going to give you the essence of the will of God for everyone's life in this room right now. Here it is. Hold on to your seats. It's one word. Obedience. It is that simple. Obedience. See, simply be obedient and you will always be in the center of God's will. You realize that? You know how, how simple that is. And, and so we get into these battles, you know, well, I want to do the will of God and I know I have a responsibility to my family and I've got to provide for them. And because I'm providing for them, I cannot cannot provide for the house of God. I can't give my tithes and offerings as God directs, as God commands. What? Commands? Wait, since when do we throw one out for the other? That's never been... Oh, God, I'm going to disobey you on this one so that I can obey you on this one. Uh, Something's not right with that philosophy and mentality. You know what that sounds like a little to me? Uh, let Let me try to give you this thought. Okay, so we know that from Scripture it's... That I cannot neglect my parents or the house of God. We understand that. 
Biblically, it's very clear to us. And you know what else I can't do? I can't discard my children's needs simply because I have a needy wife. Because my wife's so needy, I can't say, sorry kids, I can't meet your needs because i got to meet mama's because that's my first job. I, I was separated from, I had to leave my mother and father and be, become one with my wife. So she's first, so I can't meet your needs, kids. Is that really what God would want for you? You'd say, that's ridiculous. You, you still got to meet their, you still got to provide food for them and clothes on their backs. You still got to put a, a, some kind of roof over their head or at least get to the haven where at least you can stay warm with them. Do something. You got to take steps to provide for them, meet their needs. You can't just leave them out in the cold and leave them hungry. Not just so you can take care of your wife. That's not balanced. Oh, but wait a second. You can't discard your husband's needs because you're busy with raising children, ladies. Well, you just don't understand how busy I'm raising these kids, so you're just going to take a back seat for the next 18 years. We can't do that either. Again, it's not an either-or thing here. And in the same way that we look at that and you say, well, that's a little different, it's all the home. I know, but in this case, he's dealing with extended family. Do you realize that this man left his, his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and yet God says you're to honor your parents. So don't you dare use giving to the church as an excuse for not meeting your parents' needs. We probably ought to get a little more on praying ground. If we were more on praying ground, we might be able to find that God always has a way to enable us. He, he never calls us to do something he doesn't provide us for us. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. It's not an either-or thing. You can truly, uh, God intends you with your finances. He does with mine, my job. He gives me what I have here. You say, what, to reach the lost? Yes, but he gives me the finances I have. He gives me the, the resources I have for three real basic ministries. The ministry to my family. I have a responsibility to minister to my family. He gives it to me for the ministry of the church. He, he expects me to give and to give plenty. And then he also expects me to minister to reach the lost. And talk to my wife and she'll tell you that. She doesn't know how to say no to those bus kids. Whew. Boy, I don't even want to go to tax time anymore. I'm like, honey, don't even tell me. You know what? It's okay, though. It's part of the process. When I get to heaven one day, I promise you this. I will never regret ministering to my family. I'll never regret ministering to the house of God. And I will never regret ministering to reach the lost. Never. And God says I can do all of them. It's not an either or thing. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. And so... Let's do the will of God. Let's just be obedient in every area. And we'll watch God do a miracle in our lives, our homes, and our families. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. And Lord, just ask that, Lord, you'd help us to realize that we have jobs for a reason. And they provide for our ministry. Lord, help us to minister as we're called to minister. Help us to, Father, provide and to minister to our families. And to provide and minister to our, our church family. And to provide and minister to the lost. Lord, may we not begrudge that, but instead, Lord, may we look at it as an opportunity and a privilege. As you provide it, Father, may we just be obedient and may we just be in the center of your will in every step of the way, in every aspect of our life. 
We'll thank you for it. Now bless us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all